You know, if you're a little older, uh, as I am, we, uh, we start to need, we start to rely a little bit on these silly little things. Our vision, just not quite what it once was, especially up close. A few years back, I started noticing my kids might want to show me something on their iPhone, and they would say, hey, Dad, look. <laughs> and I'd say, let's try this. <laughs> we begin to appreciate lenses. Lenses are curious little things. They bring things into focus for us. They make a thing appear sharp. They don't make a thing sharp. The, the thing is already sharp. You know, the, the text on the pages of our Bibles is sharp, clear. But our eyes sometimes need a little help to see things correctly. And so these lenses will let us see the clarity of a thing. And there's a bit of a spiritual parallel, if you will. Because life is confusing and messy and uncertain. And there are so many problems in our world and in our society. Their immorality is rampant. The mistreatment of each other. There's hatefulness and murder and strife and enmity between people. And it seems like when it's not there, we as a people try to create it somehow. We just love to create strife in society. Uh, there's just corruption of all types at every level of society, and racism and bigotry and unkindness and just, just a lot of trouble. Even though we have seen some good things develop toward slowing what I have called America's Holocaust, the murder of tens of millions of unborn babies, Rest assured, the forces of evil are dedicated to death and murder, even of innocent babies. They will not stop until they can make sure that every unborn child is vulnerable to murder. That's the world we live in. Young folks may well say, what is this? How do I make my way in that kind of world? Those of us that are a little older may say, where is all this going? Where does it end? Maybe especially we say, what kind of world do my children grow up in? My grandchildren. In all that murkiness, we need clarity. In all that confusion, we need some focus. I would suggest to you that we can benefit from some biblical lenses if you will, to help us make some things clear, to bring some things into focus. If you're there in Isaiah chapter 46, would you read with me from a few verses here? Isaiah chapter 46, here's a time in the history of God's people. They have the same corruption we have. There's evil, there's idolatry, there's all sorts of problems in society. God has a message. Bell bows down, Nebo stoops. Their idols are on beast and livestock. These things you carry are borne as burdens on weary beast. 
They stoop, they bow down together, they cannot save the burden, but themselves go into captivity. It's very vivid imagery. God's people had this ongoing problem with idolatry. And God says, you carry this little idol with you wherever you go. Maybe not so little. You stoop under the burden of this idol. And then essentially God says, beginning in verse 3, He says, you carry this idol. Let me talk to you about carrying. You carry an idol, but I've been carrying you. That's powerful. Verse 3, listen to me, O house of Judah, all the remnant of the house of Israel, who have been born by me from before your birth, carried from the womb, even to your old age, I am he. And to gray hairs I will carry you, I have made and I will bear. I will carry and I will save. Isn't that vivid? You're addicted to your idols. You carry them around. You stoop as you carry them. But let me tell you who's really... Let me tell you about carrying. I, God, have carried you. From before you were ever born, I was watching out for you. And I'm watching out for you now, and I will keep my promise in the future. You see, essentially what God is saying through Isaiah, you need some focus. Here's the three lenses we want to look at this morning as summarized here. God has taken care of us. We can look back in time and see all that God has done. God is working now, and God will keep His promises in the future. The past the present, and the future. Here in Isaiah, if you drop down to verse 8, you'll see the same sort of thing played out again. Remember this and stand firm. Recall it to mind, you transgressors. Remember the former things of old. God says, think back to the old days. For I am God, there is no other. I am God, there is none like me. And then if you drop down to verse 13, I bring near my righteousness, it is not far off. I will, God says, put salvation in Zion. So those are lenses, and let's talk through those for a moment. Lenses by which we can get the clarity we need to think about the world we live in. And let's start with that first one. Number one, think about all that God has done. If we lay out a big timeline, let's have over on this side the past. If we think about the past, all that God has done, from the garden when man turns his back on God and sins and loses that special connection with God, even there God says there's hope coming. He says to the woman, your seed will crush Satan. And then we come a little further our direction, and God says to Abraham, in your seed, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. And then when God's people go into Egyptian bondage, God delivers them out with a mighty hand, devastating Pharaoh and the Egyptians. God brings his people to the edge of the promised land. God's people won't go through. God makes them wander for 40 years. Then brings them into the land. Then gives them judges to rule and lead over them. What do God's people do? Well, they have a good judge. 
Things are good, they're prosperous. The judge dies. They turn away from God. They go back into captivity, into bondage. They cry out to God. God delivers them again. This cycle goes on for, Stephen would say, about 400 years. But you see what God has done in the past? Before the foundations of the world, God established the plan of salvation, how he would redeem mankind. And all that God has done has been working to bring that about. Then he gave them judges, after judges, he gave them kings. They wanted to be like the nations around them. He gave them kings. Saul, David, Solomon. Then the kingdom fractures. Israel in the north. Israel never had a good king. Not one. Judah in the south had a few. Israel eventually is taken away to Assyrian captivity. They never come back. Judah taken to Babylon 70 years. God is delivering a remnant. He is unfolding his plan of salvation. It comes down to the New Testament time. John the Baptist bursts on the scene. John sees Jesus. John says, behold, the Lamb of God. God's Lamb for his sacrifice. To redeem his people, our Christ dies, is raised again. The kingdom is established. And God, think of all that God has done, even in our own lives. Even as Isaiah said, when you were in your mother's womb, when I didn't even know I was a person, God was watching over me. Think about all that God has done. In Romans chapter 5, in Romans chapter 5, we might... Simply summarize it this way. Romans chapter 5 and verse 8. But God shows his love for us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. All of human history, all that God has been doing so that we can be saved, so we can be his people. Now hold that thought for just a moment. Hold, hold that thought of all that God has done. Now come to the present. Think about all that God is doing. Think about his ongoing providence. 2 Peter chapter 2. 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse 9. 2 Peter chapter 2. Verse 9. In the context speaking of Sodom and Gomorrah, speaking of righteous Lot. Verse 9, the point of that recap, then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials. God actively knows the trials that you and I face. He is actively working. He knows exactly how to rescue us from our trials. And think about this in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. As we face temptations, what does God say? 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 13. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. Do you, you ever contemplate that? God knows exactly what each person is facing. 
He is actively engaged in the world. He will not allow you or I to be tempted beyond what we can bear. There will be a way of escape. It's just a sampling, of course, but think of what God is doing right now. In Romans chapter 8 and verse 34. How about this? Romans chapter 8 and verse 34. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised. Who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. That is present tense. That Christ sits at the right hand of God now. And now... Christ, as we pray, make our petitions known, Christ is interceding on our behalf. That's what God, a sampling of what God is doing even now. Hold that in your thoughts for just a moment. We'll come back to that. Now think about the future. Think about all that God will do. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 1 Corinthians 15, First Corinthians chapter 15, we have a problem in life, it's a problem of death. Death is always ever present, we know death slowly but surely, unless the Lord comes first will lay its hand on our shoulder. But yet, what God will do, God has promised to raise up the faithful. Verse 18, 1 Corinthians 15, Then those who have fallen asleep have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life, only we are of, most, of, of all people most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. And the whole point of this context is God will raise us up. There is a resurrection of the dead. That is God's promise. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, here's a phrase that is powerful. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, speaking of the return of Christ, because at some point Christ returns, and what a glorious day that would be. To see the heavens opened, and the Lord descending with His mighty angels. In verse 17, then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them. The them is the dead that have been raised to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Always. Your loved ones that have passed on, your loved ones that have finished their journey, faithful to God, raised up. If we should be living when the Lord returns, what a glorious day that will be to see the Lord descend, to be caught up in the air with Him, to see the dead raised, and we will always be with the Lord. An eternity's worth of eternity, it doesn't even begin to touch the word always. That's what God has promised. Now, when we look at what God has done. And we just sampled that a little bit. We look at what God is doing. We look at what God will do. 
What's the result of that? We might say, so what? Well, here's the so what. It gives us so much better focus on life when we can see the reality of all that God has done, all that God is doing, and all that God will do. I suggest there are three things, three impacts that can have on us. Number one, intense gratitude. Intense thankfulness. When we look at all that God has done, all that he's doing now, all that he will do. Intense, deep, pervasive, unstoppable thankfulness to God for all of that. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 19. We go to this place to remind ourselves. We sing. We don't use instruments. We sing as God has described. And we rightly go to this place, Ephesians 5, 19, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. Maybe we pause there. But how about the next verse? Giving thanks always and for everything. Shouldn't that be a logical response to the reality of all of human history that God has worked His plan to bring us to this point and all that God is doing now and all that God will do? Always thankful for everything. Can we make a quick contrast with Romans chapter 1? In Romans chapter 1, Paul lists... Paul lists all these... uh, all these terrible problems. It sounds like our society. It sounds like the, the headlines of the newspaper. Verse 26, God gave them up to dishonorable passions and women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And just all of these, look at verse 29, all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice, they are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. That's tomorrow's headlines. Where did it begin? How about verse 21? They denied the reality that God is the creator Verse 21, although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him. But they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. It began with unthankfulness to the Creator for all that He has done. What a contrast to Romans 1, Ephesians 5. As Christians, knowing all that God has done, all He is doing, all that He will do, deep, abiding, thankfulness and gratitude toward God. May I suggest a second reaction? It is this one. When we think of uh, all that God has done, all He is doing, all that He will do, suggest to you that ought to give us intense confidence and courage in view of whatever we face. Because When we rely on each other, fellow humans, we often have good intentions, but we fall short. You know, we we say, I'm going to do this, and sometimes we just don't do very well. 
But in Numbers chapter 28, there's a good reminder. Uh, Numbers chapter 23, I'm sorry. Numbers chapter 23. Numbers chapter 23. Balaam, was a prophet, had some issues, some challenges, but Balaam said this in Numbers 23 and verse 19. God is not man that he should lie, or son of man that he should change his mind. He has said, and will he not do it? Or has he spoken, and will he not fulfill it? God will keep his promises. That ought to give us intense courage in view of whatever we face, confidence. Of course, there are things in life that scare us, things in life that shake us. Paul was on a ship going to Rome. If I recall correctly, Brother Jordan, you can remind me, I believe Luke records they didn't see the sun for two weeks. Is that right? In a ship on the Mediterranean, Mediterranean Sea, in a storm for two weeks, they didn't eat food. You and I would be unhappy if we were in a cruise ship for two weeks and didn't see the sun. They weren't on a cruise ship. And Paul said, an angel came and strengthened them. Oh yeah, we get scared. We have fears. But with this understanding of all that God has done and all that God is doing, all that God will do, we can have real confidence, real assurance. We can know that God is reliable and will keep His word. If you'll turn to Genesis chapter 50 for a moment. Genesis chapter 50. One of my father's uh, favorite places, passages, Genesis chapter 50. This is the time when Joseph is in Egypt. He has navigated them and is navigating them through the upcoming famine, and his brothers have come before, them, before him. They're the ones that sold him and wanted to even kill him and and, and treated him terribly, and now they're before him, and now they're a little scared because Joseph's in power. My dad used to call this the 50-20 principle. Genesis chapter 50 and verse 20. Joseph says to his brothers, As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. You meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. That's the God we serve, who will keep His promises. He is even able to weave together the evil desires and plans of evil men and weave them together for good and for deliverance. That's the God we serve. It's the God we can be confident in. As the Hebrew writer might say, Time would fail us to speak of all those examples. How about Esther? A kidnapped young girl taken to a foreign land and evil Haman has a plan. He's going to exterminate all the Jews. It's interesting because Scripture even refers there to the Jews that were as far as India I've been able to go to India. It's a fabulous, interesting place. 
But, but Haman issues the edict. They'll all be exterminated through the whole kingdom. God said no. And God saved his people. Or if we would talk about Daniel, or Shadrach, Meshach. We could talk about Job. When we look at all that God has done, it ought to give us great confidence and courage. There's that old saying, I don't know what tomorrow holds. You've heard that? But I know who holds tomorrow. The Almighty God does. I'll tell you just briefly, I was on a project in New York City for about a year, quite a few years ago. Went to bed one evening, didn't know what tomorrow would hold. That was September 10th. We don't know what tomorrow holds, but we know who holds tomorrow. One more. The truth, the reality of all that God has done, all that God is doing, all that God will do, ought to give us tremendous peace in a crazy mixed up world. Philippians chapter 4 speaks of this peace that surpasses all understanding. A peace that can cut through and transcend all the noise and all the distractions and all the the challenges, the peace of God, Paul says, Philippians 4 and verse 7, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. These lenses of God's Word can help us have deep gratitude, deep confidence, and deep abiding peace because no matter what happens in society or with our government or with the world, no matter sickness or injury or death, and all of those things are threats to us and it bothers us, but no matter what, that, what comes our way, I know this, if I'm faithful to the Lord, He will raise me up. He will give me a new body. Now this body is fearfully and wonderfully made, but it is made of flesh. And it gets a little older, as y'all know, as time goes by. God will raise me up. He will give me a new body. He has prepared a place for me, for you, for all of us. And we will be with the Lord forever. I've thought about it this way, and maybe it's a silly way to think about it. If you took all the military power in the, in the whole planet, and, and they aimed all of that at the top of my head, what's the most they can do? They can break my flesh. They can kill me. They can send me on my way to the Lord a little sooner than I planned. That's all they can do. That's all they can do. My urging this morning, my admonition to you is, and myself as well, more and more, we look at life. We need clarity and focus. We need that focus 
through the lens of God's Word. All that God has done, all that He is doing, all that He will do. And I propose it would fill us with gratitude, confidence, and peace. Can I take you back to Isaiah 46? We conclude there. Isaiah chapter 46. Just these final words. Verse 3. Listen to me, O house of Judah, all the remnant of the house of Israel, who have been born by me from before your birth, carried from the womb, even to your old age, I am he, and the gray hairs I will carry you. I have made and I will bear. I will carry and will save. That's a perspective I need. Maybe it's a perspective you need as well. Sure, appreciate you listening carefully and thank you for considering this morning. I believe we'll be led in a closing prayer and then a song and then we'll be dismissed to our classes. Thank you for connecting with us this morning. We're so thankful that you were able to do that. If you have questions, we'd love to have the opportunity to talk to you. You can contact us at www.thebibleway.com or questions at thebibleway.com. Questions at thebibleway.com. We'd love to have you in person. Come if you can. But thank you for connecting with us.